Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today, I'm talking with one of the biggest names in sports branding, Joe Bosak. We talk about how Joe got his start in sports identity design by working for the National Hockey League fresh out of college, the complicated design process when working with college sports programs, collaborating with other sports branding designers on large-scale projects, and building the best team for the job, and more, all right after this. Jack Prince is one of our favorite companies to work with. They offer great products at even better prices, with some of the best customer service I've ever seen. Why not pick Jack Prince next time you need t-shirts, business cards, stickers, or flyers printed? Right now, Jack Prince is offering four-day turnaround on their most popular apparel products. That's four days with no rush fees, no hassle, and no BS. With apparel from popular brands like American Apparel, Next Level, Jilden, All Style, and more starting as low as $3.99 each. Now is the time to take advantage of this great offer. Visit jack.inc slash four days to order your apparel today. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 20% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATESOUTH17 at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. We've gone through and streamlined the Creative South podcast Patreon page, cleaning out the excess and making it easier for you to support us. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. Every dollar helps cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else, Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast and become a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Joe, thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, absolutely. I'm uh, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so so let's dive right in. Where, where'd you grow up? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I grew up in the t- little town that I live in now. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. It's a little uh, coal mining town in Pennsylvania, southeastern mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Coal mining, of course, is you know, long gone the way of the Buffalo around here. Sure. So the town I live in now is known for its beer making. So uh, we have a brewery. That's not a bad thing to be known for. Absolutely not. No, we have a brewery here in town. It's um, officially recognized as America's oldest continuously run brewery. Um, It is not, uh, it's not a a beer that's available nationwide, but I think it is available in your neck of the woods in Alabama. It's the Yingling. Is that Yingling? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's about six blocks south of me here, but um, I didn't always live here. I grew up here when I was 17. I moved away, went to college Mm -hmm. and swore I would never return like most (laughs) 17 year olds who, you know, come from small town America say, you know, or, or do. Sure. And, um, I graduated from college and, and moved to New York and I lived in New York for a number of years and, um, uh, met my wife. Um, not my, my wife is actually from this town is from the same exact hometown, although I didn't meet really? her here, which is interesting. And then, um, we had a couple of kids and decided to move our family closer to aunts and uncles and grandparents and those sorts of things. So we, uh, we did what we said we were never going to do, and we moved back. 
So that was about <laughs> 10 years ago and it's been, it's been fantastic. You know, I think there's something to be said about um, familiarity. And sure. I think that, that at least for me, my experience has been that, you know, life is easier in, uh, in the place where you grew up and it, it just seems that familiarity makes things, I don't know, a little simpler perhaps. And it's something that I've really uh, grown to love, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. We, uh, we live in the town that my wife was born and raised in. I, I kind of moved all over the place growing mm -hmm. up. So I don't, you know, home is wherever my family is at the time. I don't really have a hometown. <laughs> I, uh, I listened to your, uh, your interview on the, Oh, you uh, did. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I know your story, man. I know your story. Yeah. <laughs> so, so kind of backing up a little bit when you were growing up there in, in Pottsville, mm -hmm. what, what type of kid were you? Were you more into sports or were you more into art? Yeah, I mean, did, uh... you know, I would say I would say a little bit of both. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I I was I always played sports when I was a kid. Um, sure, I wasn't necessarily very good <laughs> at, was uh, at just about any of them, but it was something that I always enjoyed doing and participating. And you know, my friends were all into sports, so it was one of the things that I always I always did. Um, I was always uh, a a doodler, always a drawer. I mean, that's what I would mm -hmm. do as a kid for fun. I would just, you know, pull out a pad of paper and just you know, start drawing. Um, sure. My mother was an artist. She was a painter. So okay. a, hobbyist, a hobbyist painter. And I mean, she was just super talented and uh, she was always very encouraging about those sorts of things. And, you know, that was the, that was the late seventies, the early eighties, you know, there wasn't really mm -hmm. a whole lot, um, you know, it wasn't really a whole lot to do. There wasn't like my kids now are, you know, on their phones and video games and all sure. sorts of distractions. So for me, hey, my we had the Atari 2600. Oh, I, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, my, my distraction of choice was to you know sit down and, and draw. So yeah. Yeah. Three, three channels in the 2600. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. Four, four. If you had that weird UHF Fox affiliate, oh, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so when you're going through school, what you know, at, at what point did you know art as something you wanted to study and learn about mm -hmm. become an idea for you? Well, it, I, I think I was always the you know the path of least resistance kind of kid. Right. Sure. So, um, you know, I was always drawn to things that came easy to me and that was certainly one of them. So when it came time to think about what I wanted to do with my life, think about a career, um, for me, it was a natural fit. I wanted to do something that I thought I would excel at. So, um, it really came to art school and finding an art sure. school and, and, and that's what I did. I went to, um, Temple University's Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Good um, school. Yeah. Oh, it's a great school. It's a great school. And I and I started out thinking I was going to be an animation major. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I don't really know where that came from. I took this intro to animation class, and it turns out animation is actually pretty hard. So, <laughs> being a uh, you know being yeah. a, a path <laughs> of least resistance kind of kid, um. You know, it it wasn't wasn't a good fit for me. But while there, I discovered graphic design, and that became my track. So, pretty early on, uh, decided that that was what I was going to do, and that's where I focused my uh, focused my energies. 
Sure. Well, you're about the same age as me, so I don't have to ask the question of, you know, how did you decide to focus on branding and print and stuff like that? Because web wasn't really a thing when we were going to school. It was nobody thought about it. (laughs) Didn't exist. You know, I mean, uh, um, things like email and those sorts of things didn't exist. And it was I thought it was a really different kind of time to be a designer, you know? Sure. Um, my friend Bill Frederick from Fan Brands says that, you know, back then graphic design was kind of like arts and crafts, you know, and yeah. he's, he's so right. You know, he's so right because there was a certain amount of hand skill required um, mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to just to be able to do anything, you know, with uh, um, paste up and layout and cutting ruby lits and, you know, rolling pens and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> if you didn't have those basic hand skills, you were, I mean, it wasn't going to happen, you know? Yeah. So it, it was a really different kind of a thing, you know? I know that makes me sound like I'm an antique, but yeah, that's No, that's well, you came so, in at the tail end of that though, too. I so. did come in at the tail end of that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, the the computer and technology was really taking over, probably starting about, my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I graduated and, you know, entered the you know, quote unquote workforce, it was <laughs> everywhere, you know, it was everywhere. But it was really weird too, because, you know, there were a lot of other designers that were really tr- in a transitional place. So sure. they were used to working in a traditional method. And then here comes this, you know, all this technology. So younger designers that knew the technology that had the skills were in pretty high demand. So it was, it was a really, it was the job market was pretty, um, pretty easy back then. You know, if you, if you <laughs> a lot the easier than it is yeah. now, that's for sure. Oh, sure. You know, no doubt about it. Yeah. There were tons of printing companies you could go work for, get your uh, feet wet doing that. And, yeah. Right. You yeah. know, seemed like more options. So yeah. when you got out of school, what, what did you, what did you end up doing? What was your first gig out of school? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I'm probably one of those rare designers that um, you know started a career inside of a niche, inside of a pigeonhole, and stayed yeah. there. You know, and that's really where I stayed. Um, when I was in uh, when I was in college as a senior, the mm. Art Directors Club of New York used to do these luncheons, and it was in the springtime. It was right around when. You know, designers were graduating, graduating, and you know all the schools in and around the New York metro area. They would the designers would head into the city on, I don't know how many they used to do four or five. You know during the on Thursday afternoons or something like that. They were these luncheons basically, sure. and you would go to the art directors club. They they give you lunch, and they'd have maybe you know half a dozen to ten art directors from all over the city there. And the idea was you would you know, show them your portfolio and they weren't really there to give you a job. They were there no. to give you some advice, you know, how, how you present your work, um, what your portfolio looked like, how you had things paced, those kinds of things. So I go to this thing with a couple of my friends from, from Tyler and um, end up sitting at this table with David Haney, who was the director of creative services at the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And I showed him my book and I guess there was something there that he liked. And um, through a series of phone calls and interviews over the next, over the month after that, um, he gave me, he called me and, and uh, offered me a job. 
So I started working in the creative services department at the NHL as a 20 year old kid and uh-huh. uh, fresh out of college. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's, and that's really where I got my taste for, um, you know, not only identity design, but identity design in the sports world. And I just fell in love with it. And I knew that, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. This is the kind of stuff that I want to be around for the rest of my career. Sure. Yeah. When you were going to school, was that something you'd even considered? Because I, um, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it is such a niche. So that's why yeah. I was wondering. Yeah, uh, Jason, I didn't even know it existed. Like, I didn't know <laughs> that that leagues hired graphic designers. You know, sure. Um, and and now, fast forward, you know, twenty plus years later, now teams have their own creative services mm-hmm. departments and their own designers on staff. I mean, that was completely unheard of uh, back then. The leagues had a couple of designers here and there, but the individual teams were still using the um, uh, agency of record model where they would you know, send all of their design work out to an ad agency. Sure. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't know that was a thing, you know? And, and it, one of, what it did do though is it opened my eyes to what a great career graphic design is because yeah. it doesn't matter what you're into. It doesn't matter, you know, what type of design you like to do, whether it's, you know, print or web or, or um, identity design or editorial or illustration. It doesn't matter. You, you can take something you're interested in mm-hmm. um, and, and, and couple it with a, a specific component of graphic design. And there's somebody out there, looking for you right now you know like you could be into like pygmy goat farming and web design and somebody's hiring for those that combination of things right now you know i feel like i need to do a google search for that now yeah i'm telling you (laughs) i'm I'm sure they're out there they're looking for it so to be able to um couple an interest in sports with identity design to me that was just like that was a magical combination Sure. So, so through this process, because you're you're coming in green, and I mean, I I know everybody's first job out of college. You know, it's you're more there to learn than you are to really come in knowing what you're doing. They 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 want to mold you. They want to shape you. How are how are you being mentored and taught throughout that process to do sports branding, especially for a specific sport? Yeah, you know, I don't know if there was a whole lot of, um, uh, you know, specifics around the, the the mentoring aspect of it. Sure. It was really just it was really just understanding the game, um, mm-hmm. understanding the fans, um, understanding, you know, all of the all of the subtle nuances about the genre. Um, to be mm. able to design effectively for it. So I, I don't, but I don't know if there was any sort of specific um, hands-on mentoring. When I got to the NHL, um, I was, I, I, it was David Haney and I were the creative services department. It was just oh, the two geez. of us. So um, there was, I was the first hire in the department mm. that he had made. Um, and even when I left there, I was really the only, I was the only person there. So mm-hmm. we, we were a team of two um, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, figuring it out as we both went along. Sure. Yeah. With, 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 you know, with that career path, how are you managing? I mean, I'm assuming there's got to be a lot of farming out stuff and, you know, working with outside vendors and all. How are you managing those relationships? And, and because the NFL, NHL yeah. is 
I mean, how many teams are there now? There's, I'm trying to think of how many teams there would have been back then. There would have been, th- probably would have been thir- 30 back then. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, one of the few sports I follow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, growing up in Minnesota, you kind of can't oh, sure. escape yeah. hockey. Um, but how are, especially, you know, being a team of two for the most part, how are you managing those relationships and expectations and things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the 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 way that the creative services department was structured at the NHL, it was really like an internal agency. So sure. we had um, corporate marketing department, we had a licensed apparel department, we had um, uh, you know we had we had inside sales and all, all different sorts of things. So basically, we were the agency for them. So if we had um, you know the corporate marketing department was putting together a pitch to you know, you name it. And Anheuser-Busch is the official, mm-hmm. Budweiser is the official beer of the NHL. We were handling um, some of the presentation materials. But at the same time, we were also serving the specific needs of our clubs. So mm-hmm. um, when a club had um, a third jersey project or something like that, we were handling that in-house. When there was a branding project for the clubs, we were handling that in-house. So right. it was... Uh, it was really kind of all over the place. And it was one of the great things about that job was that you, you got your hands into a lot of different places, you know? So Mm -hmm. it was, it was a nice way to be able to do a lot of different things um, under the same roof. Sure. Mm -hmm. So throughout this time, I imagine because when you left, you went out on your own pretty much, right? You didn't. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a, a, a brief stop at uh, Fila, the sneaker company, and I worked okay. there for two years after the NHL. So, okay, um, but it was, I mean, that's it's a very closely related um, industry. Sure, it's, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's sports apparel yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. But when you're, I, I guess, starting at the NHL, had you started taking on kind of freelance work and branching out into other aspects, or not, not how really. did that come about? Not really. I mean, it, you know. I, I left the NHL in 96 and mm-hmm. um, I really wasn't doing a whole lot of freelance there. I, um, you know, from there I, I took this job at Fila and, and mm-hmm. I left there in 1998 and right around you know, maybe three or four months before um, I left that job, I started taking on some freelance work and started looking around and, you know, trying to sort of find some clients to be able to help me, um, start out, you know, start out on my own. Um, sure. I was, I, when I started Jason, I, I mean, I would never do it this way again, but when I started, I was 25 years old. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like to say I was as dumb as a box of hammers and <laughs> I, you know, I was malleable, right? I didn't really need anything. I had a very low cost of living. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have, uh, wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. Um, I could afford to take some risks and that's sure. really what I did. Um, you know, I, I, I basically set up my shop in my home and um, pulled out my Rolodex and started calling people that I had met over the years looking for opportunities out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately for me, the sports world is um, people that work in the sports world are just inherently helpful. They want to be, um, they, they, they like, they like to sort of share and leverage connections and those sorts of things. So sure. people were very, um, open with me about, oh, you know, you should call this person or you should call that person. And, 
you know, the, the, the first contact I got was, um, uh, I don't even know what the title was, but it was, um, the East coast hockey league in Princeton, okay. in Princeton, New Jersey. And, um, and I remember calling there and, and, you know, speaking to this person name was given to me by an old colleague of mine, at the NHL. And, you know, the, my first day, my first day on the job, I had, I had work, you know? So, I mean, by the end of that day, I had a project. So it was, it, it, it worked out pretty well, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. You know, when, when you decided to make that leap out on your own, what, what gave you the confidence to say, this is something that I want to do. And I, and this is, this is how I'm going to do it. Well, <laughs> or was it that fact that you said, like you said, you were dumb as a box of hammers? Well, no, I mean, it was, no, you know, my, <laughs> my, my backup plan was really that, um, you know, what was the worst that could happen, right? I, I, I basically gave myself three months to make a go of it, you know? Sure. And I thought that, that if after three months I can't, I can't make a run at it, then I'll just go get a job, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I said, the job market was pretty hot back then, so it wasn't that difficult to find employment as a designer, um, especially when you were specialized and like I was, it was n- not that difficult. So my mm-hmm. backup plan was I'll just go get a job. And, you know, lucky for me, that was 20 years ago and I never had to go get that job. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, worked, it's worked out well for you. Yeah, so far, so, so good. Yeah. So, so as you're starting the business and as you're growing things, you know – how are you going about figuring out the actual business side of things for yourself? Yeah, well, that was probably, you know, that, that was probably the, the hardest part, you know, trying to figure out um, how, to, how to structure it. Um, uh, should I incorporate and, you know, be an S corporation or an LLC or should I be a sole proprietor and, and mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Lucky for me, I, I had, um, a friend of mine had given me a recommendation for a really good accountant and he uh-huh. helped me through a lot of that, uh, making sure that my taxes were paid, uh, making sure that I was incorporated in the right way, making sure that I was, um, you know, just handling my finances in, um, in a grown up kind of way, as, as grown up as a 25 <laughs> year old kid could be, you know? Sure. So, but that, that was really a big, a big part of it because otherwise, I mean, I would have had no idea, you know, how to, how to do any of that. So I, I, I brought, uh, or I hired that accountant pretty early on and he sort of helped me figure out a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I mean, there's also the part of, of structuring your day too, you know, how, how much you're going to spend on, business development and how much you're going to spend on design. And I think that's one of the challenges for any designer that's going to start out on their own is being able to manage those two things. And I think that, that it gets, it's not easy to do. I think you can, you can be a very good um, manager of your business, or you can be a very good designer. And it's really, really hard to be able to be both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with with all of that stuff and building it, how are you figuring out the like pricing and yeah. networking and 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 keeping relationships? I mean, you know, the, the soft skills that come with it too. Yeah, well, that I you know that's another thing too. I, I think about all, all the time, sort of success. 
the soft skills involved with with being successful. And I think sure. there's there's something about the the power of likability. And I think mm-hmm. it goes a lot further than most people think. And I think that that you, you just kind of have to um, kind of have to be yourself in a lot of ways, and 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 just rely on, um, you know, sort of a, a kind of a genuine a genuine personality, just being yourself out there. And that goes a long way. And and you know, of building relationships and and. Um, you know, sort of just, just getting out there, just getting out there to me was kind of a, a, a big, a big part of the whole thing. Sure. I can imagine mm-hmm. when, you know, when, when you're first putting yourself out there, you know, how are you handling rejection too? Cause that's, you know, as, as an artistic type, um, I, I imagine like many of us, you, uh, can sometimes have a fairly thin skin, uh, when it comes to things like that. So how 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 did that uh, process go? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know if I necessarily experienced a whole lot of that. You know, the um, of course you you put out proposals, and in in my world, especially the the work that I do now mm-hmm. um, in the collegiate level, there's lots of RFPs and those sorts of things. So you know, you win some and you lose some, and I don't think you can you can really get too hung up on on the ones you don't win, you know? Sure. Um, and that's, I, I've never really dwelled, never really dwelled too much on, <laughs> on rejection. You know, I think it, it, working in sports though, I mean, the, the, the bigger rejection is when the fans don't like it, you know? So that's uh-huh. really, <laughs> that's really the ones that really kind of stick with me, you know, or when uh, something gets unveiled and, you know, the fan base isn't too thrilled about it and, it's understandable, right? People hate change, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to sports teams and and um, and the like, because there's a there's a real tribal nature to it, you know. Well, yeah, and I mean, people have these emotional connections with uh, whoever they root for. So, oh, of course. I mean, you can hear it just by listening to people talk about their teams, you know we won, we lost. Well, yeah, you really didn't do anything. You just happened to be a supporter of that team, but people, people feel like they're part of that group, you know? Um, yeah, believe me, I live in the state that probably exemplifies it the most when it comes to football. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roll tide, you know, yeah, sure. War Eagle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, or, yeah. And or. But, um, but you know, I mean that, and that's, to me, that's really where the, those are the ones that kind of stick with you because as designers, we all want to be pleasers and we sure. all want people to like what we do. Um, but in, in sports, it's, it's more of a challenge because of that, um, you know, just that, that power of fandom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, uh, the, the irrational brand loyalty that comes along with sports fans and their teams. And, and most of the work that I do is in the collegiate space now, and it becomes even more amplified with the power of alma mater. So, um, those are the, that, that's the, that's the, the stuff that, um, keeps me up at night, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I can, I can imagine. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I want to get more into, you know, kind of what you touched on of, you know, when, when fans come uh, at you and stuff like that in a second, but when you're working with sports, since it is such a niche industry 
And, you know, like you said, most of the stuff you're going after is in the collegiate field. Mm. How competitive is that market? Because there's, you know, there's a finite amount of sports teams and mm-hmm. colleges that have sports teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and And there's... I mean, at least off the top of my hand, there's not a ton of sports designers out there still. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think it's uh, I think it's pretty competitive. Um, you know, I always say that you know if you are a college or a university, you're a professional sports team, or you're a conference, or you're a league, and you're looking for outside help on brand identity, you know, you don't have to shake the tree too hard until all the usual suspects fall out. And sure. I, I think that that those usual suspects all have one thing in common, which is a proven track record and lots of experience. Now, on the mm-hmm. outside of that, there's all there's all sorts of designers that are trying to break into the industry, which is I mean, just really, really hard to do, you know. Sure. Um, and and uh, so I think there's there's co- there's competition from both sides. There's competition um, pressure on your left and on your right. Um, there's competition from above, from places like Landor and Interbrand, where where they they will work on the occasional sports project. And mm-hmm. then there's pressure from below, where there's people that are hungry to get into the industry. So um, yeah, I think it's a pretty competitive space, no doubt about it. But um, a track record and reputation. Um, mm-hmm. Reputation in the sports world is everything. So, um, you know, making sure that you do good work and you take care of your clients and you're able to maintain that reputation. Th- those are really the keys, um, the keys to success as far as I can see it. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, about, about, I mentioned earlier, David Haney, David hired me at the NHL about five years ago, David came back um, to, uh, to <laughs> back into the fold, I should say. Maybe I went back into the fold. I, I don't know exactly, exactly how to say that. But um, David now manages our business. So he's our managing sure. director. And um, David lives in Old Greenwich, Connecticut, and he works mm-hmm. out of a home office there. And um, our, our very first meeting when we were going to try to make this thing work, we met at a diner halfway in between the two mm-hmm. of us that happened to be in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And, um, you know, we, we were sitting at this booth and we're basically talking about how to structure this. And, and near the end of the conversation, he says, well, you know, what's the what's the new business strategy? You know, what's how are you out there getting getting more work? And and I said, well, you know, it's it's not really complicated. The phone rings and I pick it up. And, you know, he, you know, it's chortle, chortle. He every laughing and he's like, oh, no, no, seriously, really. How, how do you, what's your strategy? How do you do it? And I said, seriously. No, the phone, seriously. The phone, the phone rings and I pick it up. And I mean, that's really been what it is. And it's, it's really about, um, you know, like I said, treating your clients right, doing good work and building that reputation. Yet you, as a designer, especially when you're a designer inside a niche like I am, you have to protect that reputation fiercely, mm-hmm. and and the, the way to do it is by doing good work. Sure. What is that process like of working with a university? Say, um, you know, Mississippi State, because I yeah. just looked at that one a little yeah. bit ago. Because there's so many on the university side of things. There's so many players that are involved in it. Whether you know, you've got the you know, university president and all that. Then yeah. you've got like the sports director and you've got the alumni boosters and all of these different things and all of these different commu- committees. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, how do you balance and meet all of those needs? 
Well, I mean, that's the secret sauce, right? I, I, I mean, was about to say, the, some days easier, yeah. probably easier than others, well, right? Well, <laughs> well, sure, you know, and, and I think it's about, um, it's about having a solid process. Because if you can walk into a situation like that where you have a broad group of stakeholders and you can, you can um, take them through a process that is, um, has a track record that's proven mm-hmm. to get results – um, process builds trust. And I think that's really what it's all about. It's about gaining the trust of all of those constituent groups, um, mm-hmm. to be able to let them, to be, to be able to have them let you do your job and trust you through the process. Um, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's complicated because there are, um, the, the constituency is huge, uh, like you said, uh, alumni and donors and staff and um, faculty and student athletes and student groups. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has to be a pretty big tent. You have to be able to hear from from all of those folks and get them invested in the process and have them feel um, some some ownership in the whole thing. Gotcha. And, and you know, and then it gets. I mean, even at the collegiate level, not only is it complicated in terms of being able to navigate those groups, but the design process is complicated because you're when you're when you're working with a professional team, whether it's baseball mm-hmm. or football or basketball or whatever, um, the 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 application of the identity, at least in its most authentic form on the field and on the court is pretty simple. You're talking about a home uniform and a road uniform. In the case of Mm -hmm. hockey, there might be a third jersey. When it comes to a collegiate athletic program, you're talking about 18, 19, up to 23 sports uh, potentially. And each uniform has its own amount of real estate, some more, some less. And the identity has to be able to apply to all of those things. Um, and then, I mean, outside of the control of the athletic department is a, a whole host of licensees that are then going to be able to apply the mark. So there's there's management that's required there and, and very detailed and precise style guides on how to be able to apply these things across a wide variety of application. Because once it's out there and once it's in the hands of those licensees, you really lose control. So one of the things that we try to do is we try to make our identities um, as easy to use as possible, as bulletproof as possible, so that mm-hmm. when they do go out into the world, um, they're uh, they're hard to get wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't mean well, it always happens, you know. <laughs> I mean, sure, they, they get wrong, they get applied yeah, wrong all the time. So. Mm-hmm. I, I have I have a specific question with that. Yeah. When when you are designing these, because you know you have sports, you know sports identity is for the most part has this very masculine look, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's very heavy and all that, but there are, you know, more women's sports out there. Are, are there use cases where you're modifying it to soften it for women's sports and things like that? And, you know, I don't want to say having multiple identities, but having variants on the identity mm-hmm. that would apply to something like that. Yeah. It's interesting because that is, that's a real common, um, that's a real common thought process um, mm-hmm. in identity development. And if you're thinking about, you know, a, a, a team named the the Warriors, for example, I mean, and if it's a sure. if it's a Spartan like image, for, for example, um, that's going to inherently be masculine. And whenever sure. we develop uh, work like that, where there is a 
um, there's a human mascot involved or a human element involved, it always tends to skew masculine. You're, you're absolutely right in that, sure. in, that, um, in that observation. And the question always comes up in the process. Uh, is this um, alienating to our female athletes? And, you know, my response is always the same. I don't know. I, why don't we ask them? So as part of our, <laughs> as part of our focus group testing, um, we do that. We do just that. We ask the question. And without exception, it's never been an issue. Uh, female um, student athletes uh, identify and relate to um, the, 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 the nature of whatever that symbol is, not necessarily the gender. I'll give you a sure. more specific example. Um, three years ago, we started doing some work for this little nonprofit in Indianapolis called the NCAA. Um, mm -hmm. They uh, – <laughs> Real one, small one. I never yeah, heard yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we uh, – and part of that project was to redesign and reimagine all of their um, student-athlete icons that represent – all 23, it was 23 when we started, it's 24 now NCAA sports with the addition of uh, beach volleyball, which by the way is going to bring me out of retirement, I think. I'm going to use my last three years of eligibility for beach volleyball. But, <laughs> <you> uh, <laughs> um, but, but uh, uh, one of the projects was to develop these icons for student athletes. And of course, like all of our projects, the, the idea of gender came up. And mm -hmm. my, my approach to that project was to develop icons that were gender neutral because it mm -hmm. was my position that if you're a basketball player, you're a basketball player. If you're an ice hockey player, you're an ice hockey player. Uh, it does, you, you're not a, a men's basketball player or a women's basketball player. There shouldn't be um, uh, qualifiers like that. It, the, the, there's a certain amount of athleticism involved in the sport and, and that should be recognized. So we did a study and it was not just a focus group study. We went out and, and talked to hundreds of student athletes all across the country. And the response was what, what I had expected, that um, female student athletes, male student athletes, they didn't necessarily identify with gender. They identified with the athleticism of the sport. And sure. if the athleticism of the game was uh, captured in those icons, that's really what uh, what resonated with them. So, I mean, your, your question is a good one. And it's a question that uh, comes up all the time, mm -hmm. um, especially in collegiate sports when it comes to um, masculine or male dominated uh, types of imagery. You know? Sure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of going off uh, the tangent since you brought up the uh, NCAA, yeah. with, with that one specifically, I know you brought in um, a lot of outside people to help mm -hmm. you with that, like Fraser Davidson and yeah. TJ Harley mm -hmm. and uh, Todd Radom. And yeah. I'm, I'm blanking on that. There's, that was yeah. Sky Dillon, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. you know, all of these guys have – a their own businesses yeah mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so there's the, the, that time constraint with that but they also have their own kind of style mm -hmm. yeah um yeah how does that process work when you're coming together and you know pitching all of that stuff and every is everybody you know first round come up with some concepts throw them together and then pick them apart and see what flies out of each element well yeah you know it's sort of to step back on that one a little bit you know what 
that that was such a big project. Um, sure, it was a three year uh, project from start to finish, and you you can't you can't do that by yourself. You know, you right? Can't, yeah. You can't. Ha- I mean, it's just it's an impossibility. You just cannot. Not if you want to survive. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so when when we pitched that job, um, the 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 question came up in our in-person interview at the NCAA. And and again, I thought it was a really good question. They basically asked David and I, you know, how are two guys from Pottsville going to handle a project like this? And it's a Mm -hmm. good question, right? Because I would want to know the answer to that too. If I was entrusting a design firm with this, this massive project. And my response to them was, well, we're not, you know, that's not, that's not how we're going to handle this project. What we're going to do is we're going to go out and we're going to find the right talent to leverage against this project. We're not just going to put um, bodies against it. We're going to put the right bodies against it. Right, right. And, you know, everybody else that was pitching that job was pitching the agency model. Um, mm-hmm. Look at our shop. We have 25 designers on staff and we've got these 10 account executives and we've got all of these other folks that we are going to put to bear against this project. And my question was, well, what if they're the wrong people? You know, what if they're not the right people for the job? So our response was we were going to go out and find the right people for the job. And that's what we did. And, you know, you you mentioned um, Sky and Todd and, and TJ and Fraser. Um, People who I would consider to be um, the best of the best in this mm-hmm. industry, and and I knew that those guys would would have the the synergy, the talent, and perhaps most importantly, the low ego to be able to share work with each other, to um, to 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 leverage each other's concepts to build upon other people's ideas to be able to come out with the best of the best and you know just to even take that one step further you got to remember i mean this is this is a small world sports the sports branding world is a is a small world these guys were essentially on paper my competitors and here we were, I mean, coming together to put our collective talents to bear. And sure. it has – I have never um, experienced uh, a, a creative um, endeavor like that ever in my career. It was just unbelievable. The synergy was unbelievable. The uh, The way that we shared concepts and shared ideas and um, improved each other's work was mm-hmm. um, just it was just great it was just great and and the end results were you know th- there's no one hand in any of that there, there's out of the five of us no one can point to it and say I did all of that it was true sure. collaborative effort and it was just incredible incredible um, you know if, if I'm gonna walk into a, a, a creative challenge that has, Number one, never been done before. At the NCAA, they've never tried to unify all of their championships with continuity and common thread throughout all of them. It was mm-hmm. it had never been done before. And well, yeah, that's a I mean that's a huge endeavor. I mean, it's a like huge you said, there's twenty three now, twenty four sports. Yeah, and-, yeah. and and to and go go a step further, nobody was asking for it. You know, there was <laughs> nobody out there that was clamoring for it. Um, they were sure. fine with the status quo. And um, but but if you're going to do that, 
Um, it, it, for me, if you're gonna if you're gonna go into a project like that, I I want to go in with the best of the best, and those guys are the best of the best, and sure. they they knocked it out of the park. You know, knocked it out of the park. Sure. We still get together. I mean, I, I still talk to those guys, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was just at Fraser's wedding in London two weeks ago. I um, saw the which pictures was awesome, online. Which yeah. was awesome. And, uh, you know, I talk to TJ Harley probably every day. I talk to Sky often, talk to Todd as much as I can. And mm-hmm. we all get together at the Final Four every year and um, spend a few days together and, yeah, reminisce. So, yeah, they're a great group of people. Yeah, I, I saw I saw your pictures of the uh, double decker bus and all that <laughs> stuff uh, on Facebook. So yeah, yeah, it was a uh, Facebook is a wonderful thing where you can uh, follow so many people around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. <laughs> it, it it looked like a lot of fun. Oh, it was a blast. Um, yeah, you know, with that process because it is three years, and like you said, they are your competitors and things like that. Well, actually, the competitive stuff doesn't even play into that. But since it is such a long-term process, you know, how do you focus? How do you stay focused on such a large project for so long with people who do own their own businesses as well? Um, you know, because they've got you know other clients mm-hmm. that they've got to meet the needs of and things like yeah. that. And yeah. none of those guys are big shops. Yeah, no, 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 and, and no, they're not. You're right. And I mean, there, there was. Uh, it, it it wasn't a um, the the engagement was really intense at first. Um, we sure. started that project in October of two thousand and I think it was October two thousand thirteen, and it was pretty hot and heavy from October until February. Um, and then after sure. that, um, after the initial development, initial concepts were presented, then things started to um, started to come back to a normal pace. So gotcha. it wasn't like it wasn't like um, we were all on this project uh, twenty four hours a day, um, seven days a week um, for three years. Um, it was sure. it was probably like that for you know four months. And I distinctly remember working Christmas Eve, working Christmas Day. I mean, I was 24-7 on that project. Um, if I wasn't working on it, I was thinking about it. Um, <laughs> if I wasn't if I wasn't thinking about it, I was panicking about it. You know, I mean, it I'm was, sure your uh, wife was thrilled with you. <laughs> oh, I was I was the most miserable person to live with um, for, for those months. But um, but the the when 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 I went to to present those concepts, um, mm-hmm. After going through that exercise and basically working with all of those guys as intensely as we did, when I went in to present those concepts, I was never more confident in anything I have ever done like I was when I walked into that conference room because I knew it was in there. You know? mm-hmm. I knew it was in there. The, the amount of work that went into it, the amount of thought that went into it, um, it was just uh, – it was um, – it, it it was it was some of the best stuff that had ever come out of the shop. Sure. So so when you kind of moving on from that, when you have to use these identities now, um, especially with just for the I guess most well known example, when you've got like the Final Four mm-hmm. yeah. and things like that, and you've got to you know wedge in what it, whoever's the title sponsor yeah. if it's all state i think it was all state this year wasn't it uh well was the, the the final four identity doesn't have um a title sponsor sure so it's not like um you know it's not like uh the capital one orange bowl or something like that sure. i mean the final four doesn't have that 
Okay. But they do so, have they do have um, what, what the NCAA calls corporate champions, where they have uh, corporate partners and and those sorts of things, and they get integrated in uh, and throughout the event in a lot of different ways. So, uh-huh. um, one within the fan fest, and then also um, in uh, in some of the decor, and that's also a big piece of those projects as well. I mean, that's something that we did as we did too was um, all of the environmental design in and around. On what those event looks like, events look like. We didn't actually design the pieces per se, but we designed sure. all of the tools for them. So the style guides with patterns and shapes and photo techniques and all of those things, typography and all of that, and how it gets applied to um, everything from street banners to what the court looks like to. Um, what the buses running around town look like. I mean, mm-hmm. the stages for the music um, venues and music events and stuff like that. So it's a it's it's a much bigger project than than just the uh, just the identity. And in the context of that decor and that environmental design is where a lot of those you know corporate marks and things like that get plugged in. Sure. Mm-hmm. When you know when you're developing these things. You know, it's, it's, you you mentioned a lot of different things with like the environmental design and building the style guides and the typography mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. You know, we've we've been talking about how sports is a niche industry, mm-hmm. but those are all very specific skills that you don't find in every aspect of design, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I work in-house. I'm yeah. not having to design typography. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most yeah. of the typography that is being used for most of the sports stuff I see is custom now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. how are you acquainting yourself? I mean, I'm trying to figure out the right way to phrase this. I imagine there's a lot of process where, like you did with, the NCAA stuff, you're finding the right person for the job to yeah. help you with mm-hmm. those aspects of it. Yeah. But you've got to be, as someone who's managing the design side of that, you've got to be really familiar with all of that stuff. Sure. How did, through this process of your career, how did you grow comfortable with all of those different facets? Well, you know, when, when it, you, you mentioned specifically like type design, I mean, I think that mm-hmm. is, that's something that a lot of designers um, deal with on a regular basis, right? I mean, it, not only, it, it, not only in, in logo design, are we trying to develop letter forms that are unique and ownable, but on the sports side of things, you, you're then applying that. Um, a little bit deeper. So I would sure. say about you know, 70% of our projects now involve a custom keyable font. So mm-hmm. um, uh, figuring out some of that stuff early on in my career um, was, was a, was a big help um, to, uh, to be able to sort of build those things and create those things. I, I sure. also, I mean, th- this is, this is sort of where luck comes into play too, right? <laughs> um, because, uh, when I was in college at, at, um, Tyler, my roommate, um, for all four years of my college career was Ken Barber. Ken Barber, you may know that name. He's the type director at house industries. Um, just, a, a one of the most talented people I think I've ever met, um, mm-hmm. and uh, just is an unbelievable resource for uh, bouncing ideas off of and um, getting some insight into typography. And um, he, he's just he's great. Like I'll 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 send him some things and say, you know, what do you think of this? And he'll say, in in the most polite way you can possibly imagine, you know, do you, do you mind if I like you know 
fix some of this for <laughs> you, you know? So, um, so that, that, so he's not coming out and saying, this is a piece of shit. Let me redo no, it. No, <laughs> no, he's, he's far too much of a gentleman to, uh, to, to say it like that. No, but, uh, but yeah, but he, so, so th- those sorts of things. And again, that really has to do with, um, bringing the right resources to bear. So when you have, um, something like that, a person like that, that is just that talented and that skilled and that knowledgeable um, in sure. that area um, to be able to bounce stuff off of them is just, um, it's just invaluable, you know? Yeah. Well, I know for me with typography, that is like, I don't want to say it's my weak point, but that, that terrifies me of yeah. like trying to design a typeface. Yeah. Like I, I have glyphs. I have opened it up maybe four times yeah. and it just freaks me out. Yeah. Drawing letter forms yeah. is terrifying to me. Like yeah. I, I hate when like a client asks to see thumbnail sketches yeah. and it's like, my type is horrible. And Cause I'm literally, I'm just writing like I write yeah, and yeah. I have an idea of what I might use. Like I'll put a note out to the side of use Gotham and yeah. modify this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, I mean, a lot of it's like sink or swim, you know, I mean, yeah. it's a, uh, I, I remember the first keyable typeface I did and I'm not going to say who it's for because it's, it's still out there. But I mean, there was a lot of mistakes that were made in that stuff, you know? And, um, I, I well, love, we know it wasn't papyrus after this past weekend. It wasn't the one. <laughs> it wasn't papyrus. It wasn't papyrus, right. Weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you, 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 hindsight always you're looking back at old work and you're looking back at old old typefaces the first one that i did i mean it wasn't kerned very well it uh it wasn't um, conceived very well um but you know what it's like anything else the the more and more you do it um the better and better you get at it so um you know building custom typefaces now for me is kind of um I, i find it a little bit uh, therapeutic actually, because, gotcha. you know, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's an, an A is an A, a B is a B, you know, mm-hmm. um, there, there are, there are distinguishing characteristics and different flourishes and those sorts of things that can make it unique and make it ownable. But in large part, you're really starting out from a place of familiarity. And sure. to me, that's, um, you know, that's, it, there's something sort of, um, I don't know, comforting about that, I suppose, you know, whereas on the identity side of things, you know, working in a niche like I do for so, like I have for so long, it, it just becomes harder and harder to be fresh, you know, harder Mm -hmm. and harder to do something different and, um, really feel like you're, you're being, um, you know, being, being unique over and over again. You know, I, I mm-hmm. always, I, I use the, I always use the analogy of my father-in-law. You know, my father-in-law had this, he's retired now, but he had a pizza place here in, in town. And he's been running this pizza place since 1962. He just retired like, I don't know, three or four years ago. But he's been running this pizza place from, since 1962. And nothing's changed in there since 1962. Mm-hmm. So probably somewhere between you know, 1963 and 1964, he perfected his pizza recipe and he's just <laughs> been doing the same thing ever since and, and getting more and more, you know, successful with it. Whereas sure. um, a, des- a designer and, and even more so a designer that is in um, a niche for a really long time, you have to be 
you have to be really good today. And then tomorrow, you have to be really good in a completely different way. And, mm. and that's really where the power of creativity comes into play. And yeah, you can't recycle stuff. You can't. No, exactly. And you know what? And, and uh, you know, creativity becomes uh, when you're when everything is new to you and you're fresh and you're just starting your business, creativity is pretty easy, right? Because there's nothing you haven't done anything before. But sure. when you get to you know, my client list is well over a hundred colleges and universities, every major athletic conference in the country, every major pro league in the country. And when you get there, it's creativity becomes harder. But mm-hmm. I found a resurgence over the last handful of years where I'm trying to do at least one exploration in my initial development that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Um, to really force me to um, exercise some creativity and step out of the bounds. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you, you'll look at those explorations and you'll say, well, that's not that much different. But, you know, I said it at MLC Connect when I spoke there in July, you know, creativity doesn't need to be a revolution. It just needs to be, um, it needs to feel uh, fresh to you to feel like you're exercising your um talents you know sure yeah. how do you how do you come up i mean i'll use tigers as an example because that yeah. seems to be like the most prevalent yeah. sports animal that there is yeah. you know how are you finding new ways to draw a tiger every day well yeah well that's th- there you go i mean you're 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 in you're into the challenge you know yeah um where it's uh you know you have to find different techniques different um different styles, different ways to layer elements, um, different ways to, to build texture and build depth and, and those kinds of things. So it's constantly, um, it's constantly, you know, e- evolving things and changing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, e- you can go back and, and look at your portfolio and say, oh man, that, that tiger I did in 2008 is like the best tiger I can ever do. Well, okay, <laughs> that's great, but that doesn't, that doesn't help you with the project in front of you right now, you know? Sure. So, I mean, it's, again, it's sort of, um, you know, it's, it's just trying to find those things that make these things unique because again, think about at the end of the day, this is a, this is a this needs to be a unique and ownable symbol for mm-hmm. for the client so um you can't get there by rehashing old style yeah. well okay so you brought something up you know it it does have to be unique and ownable when you are in the process of creating something how are you doing the research to make sure that it is unique and ownable because yes. you know parallel parallel thought happens a lot, oh, um, all the time, all the yeah. time. And you know, it, it. Well, I think there's two answers to that. There's one that's probably more of an obvious answer, and one that might not be as quite as obvious. But the first one is, um, you know, th- this is the world that I live in, and this is sure. the world that I have lived in for, you know, I don't know, almost 24 years now in the sports mm-hmm. world. So. You you kind of have to rely on the Rolodex in your brain, right? Sure, <laughs> to sure. sort of um, to, to this a knowledge of who's out there, what's out there, and and those sorts of things. Um, so I guess there's actually three parts of the answer. So that's that's um, that's the, the the first part of it. The second part is when I get into any project, the 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 there's a lot of time spent 
on campus um, in research, um, what I call prospecting for those nuggets, prospecting mm-hmm. for those things that are that only happen at that place, only happen at that university. That can be a tradition or it can be um, a, a physical component. Maybe it's a part of a building or part of a stadium or something like that. Finding those unique nuggets that makes makes um, those unique symbols that make uh, a, a profound connection to that place. So that's one way to be able to be connected uh, or, or to be um, to be ownable to that particular institution. And lastly, and, you know, probably the most boring out of all of it have a, have, <laughs> is, is to have a good lawyer. <laughs> you know, we do um, we do trademark searches in three different categories for everything that we do. Because I don't want any surprises. And if there's something out there that is uh, similar or um, can be perceived as similar, we want to know about it before we get to a a, a, a project that we're going to unveil and send out into the world. Sure. Yeah. Because that's what I was going to ask you about. Because, I mean, you can rely on the Rolodex in your brain yeah. only so much. Yeah. But there are other industries out there yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know – for some reason, you may find that somebody you know owns a oil change place that really wanted a sporty lion head. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and that's that's really where the trademark search comes into play because that really identifies those things that are out there that could be, um, you know, in legal terms, potentially confusing. And sure. you know, I mean, it, there's there's risk with everything too because especially when it comes to common mascots and nicknames, lions, tigers, and bears, and those kinds of things, you know, the, the lawyers will always tell you that there's a, um, you know, a, a medi- medium to moderate risk. I forget what the exact, you know, terminology <laughs> is of, of potential confusion, but you know, any good lawyer will tell you there's a medium to moderate risk for getting hit by a bus crossing the street, you know, I mean, because True. it's just, uh, it's, it's just the, the, the nature of it. So, uh, the trademark search is a real valuable tool, but it's up to the client to be able to make those decisions on whether or not they, uh, um, they're going to go with the direction. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting kind of close to our time and I, w- I want to circle back around to something we talked about early on yeah. of, you know, the, the feedback that you get from fans and how yeah. you deal with that. Yeah. How, because, Sports fans can be very rabid and oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've seen people do it and it's like, you know, I think I brought this up on another podcast the other day, but like Von Glitchkus is being a famous graphic designer is like being a famous plumber. Yeah, you know, it's true. Generally outside, but when it's it comes true. to sports design, not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you deal with it when, you know, you've got that rabid sports fan who just is absolutely livid at what you've done and mm-hmm. – you know, yeah. starts for some reason stalking you online and attacking you. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. You know, I've been I've been lucky, I guess, for a lot of my career. I I've I've haven't had a ton of it, but um, you know, when when backlash happens, it it comes pretty fast and furious. And mm-hmm. it, Jason, it doesn't matter. You can you could paint the Mona Lisa, oh, and yeah. and and there will be. Um, you know, f- fans that would say she's ugly, you know, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it doesn't, it, it, it that's always going to happen. Human beings inherently are resistant to change. Mm-hmm. And when, when you, when you couple that with the passion 
involved around people's loyalties to their teams, it just becomes an equation for disaster. Not not an equation for disaster. It becomes a recipe for you know potential volatility with when these things sure. end up failed. So how how do you deal with it? You just have to know that you have to be confident in your in knowing that you did the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, in knowing that uh, the work that you're doing is going to benefit this club in the long haul. And, and I have had you know I have had uh, people say to me. Um, all different sorts of things about stuff that they didn't like. And the next time you see them at a game, you know, four months later or five months later, they're wearing all the gear, you know? Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, and, and a lot of times it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. I once had somebody uh, send me, I think it was probably an email because it was a long time ago, telling me that the logo I I created for their I don't even remember what it was, college or university or team or whatever it was. The, the logo ruined their life, you know? And I mean, you got to look at something like that and <laughs> that's go. That's a pretty sad life. Yeah, look at something like case. that and go, you know what? I don't think a logo can do that. I don't think that's going to no. ruin your life. I think you're going to be fine. So if it is ruining your life, you might want to reexamine your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's really part of what you're seeing right now, too, because, I mean, if you look at the NBA, you're seeing lots of resurgence of vintage logos. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's part of this whole uh, resistance to change. It's very easy to go backwards with an identity and pull something out of the archives. It's hard to be able to uh, build something new that is uh, that's going to resonate and endure. Do you, I mean, do you think with people going back, because obviously they're going back for nostalgia, but do you think there's part of that of they're going back because they're risk adverse and they're worried about oh, yeah. backlash for change? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I think that also comes along with, uh, you know, n- negative reactions to new stuff. It's it's there certainly is a management of risk when you are um, when you're pulling something out of the archives. That's familiar. Yeah, absolutely. How do you, how do you uh, as, as a sports designer, how do you battle against that with, you know, when teams are wanting to go dive back into their archives and, you know, yeah. how, how do you balance that? Well, I mean, I, I, some of it's good, you know, I mean, some of the, some of the, the going into the archives and pulling some of those logos back out, I think it's, I think it, it makes sense. But in my, in my world, like I said, most of the work I do is in the collegiate space. It makes uh-huh. sense in a different kind of way. Um, you know, we, we've been doing over the last handful of years, um, uh, sometimes they're called vintage collections, sometimes they're called sure. classics, but it's basically, um, it's bringing back some old logos alongside new marks and having those available in the bookstore to help control and manage some of that backlash. So people mm. still have some things that are, um, you know, somebody says, oh, I don't like that new logo, but, you know, I, I went to the bookstore and there was this great vintage piece and, um, that was the logo that was there when I graduated in the seventies or whatever the case may be. So it's, sure. it's, it's there. To yeah. I, I mean, I definitely too. get that from a nostalgia and especially from a marketing point of view, mm-hmm. why you would do that. But I, you know, from a design point of view that, I don't know, that seems like a step backwards and seems mm-hmm. like it's going to make it harder the next time you try to move forward. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't disagree. Can't disagree with you. 
<laughs> as long as the White Sox don't bring back their stuff from the eighties. <laughs> you know, we were j- I was just out there in July, and uh, they have uh, they have some of those old vintage marks in their clubhouse store, and yeah, it was uh, it was it's interesting looks, you know, some interesting looks. Yeah, it it really is. <laughs> I I remember that era well. My uh, uh, my family's originally from the Chicago area, so. Uh, yeah. I've seen all of the interesting bears and cubs and mm. White Sox stuff uh, evolve through the time, and yeah. it's uh, yeah. it's interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and and nobody more traditional than baseball fans, that's for sure. No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so yeah. cool. Well, as we're wrapping up here, you know what what's Sorry, I hear a kid behind me. <laughs> How he snuck in? Um, what what exciting is uh, coming down uh, the shoot for you? Yeah, well, that you can talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's that's the thing is that you. I can't really talk about too much stuff that's currently in development, but um, we do have Final Four 2018 in San Antonio, so you'll be able to see all of our work there. Um, not only in the identity um, aspect of it, uh, but also in all of the look and decor. Um, we mm-hmm. talked about our team earlier, um, Sky Dillon, TJ Harley, really instrumental in creating that look and and, and bringing that to fruition. So you'll see lots of that um, in uh, in April, the, or the first weekend of April. I think mm-hmm. it's the first weekend of April is the final four this year. Um, so you'll see some of that coming down the pipe. We have um, oh, about a half a dozen schools in-house right now that we're working on. Um, two conference identities that we're doing as well. Um, as well as some supplemental components to one of our conferences, we're developing a font um, for them. Um, so yeah, so it's it's uh, it, it's going to be an interesting. It'll be an interesting fall and into the winter. Um, lots of lots of things happening around here. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, where can people find you online? Well, people can find me at my website jobosack.com. You can see some of the stuff that we do there. Um, uh, uh, sort of a. a, a, a I don't really keep stay up, up to date on the website, so not not all <laughs> that uh, all that current. But certainly follow me on Twitter, my personal Twitter, J Bosak B O S A C K, and Joe Bosak Co is our corporate Twitter account, so you can follow us there. Um, on Dribble, I don't even know my Dribble. I think it's Joe Bosak. It might be J Bosak. I don't know. Just Google it. I'll I'll find, find it and link to it in the show you'll notes. Find <laughs> you'll find it, and then uh, yeah, you know all the other social media channels. We're on Instagram and and the likes. So. Yeah. Cool. And we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes so people can uh, yeah. track you down. Cool. 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 Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me tonight. Oh, absolutely, and Jason. It's been a lot of fun. It. It's been a lot of fun. I saw, I'm sorry I got off to a slow start there. I usually, I usually need to warm <laughs> up to the conversation. So uh, you can, no, you can, no, you can edit fun. all that out in post-production though, right? <laughs> nah, that's more work on my part. Like you said, path of least resistance. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, cool. thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, go out and hug some necks. Absolutely. Will do. You can find out more about Joe on Twitter at jbosak, And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at CreativeSOPod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CreativeSouthGA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter.
Twitter, and Instagram. Visit jackprince.com and get 20% off orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATESOUTH17 at checkout. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south and if you like the creative south podcast head over to itunes stitcher or google play music rate us and leave a review this helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests now go out and hug some necks